from the Los Angeles Underground. It's time for your new favorite podcast, The Superiority Complex. It's like honey in your ear holes. Welcome back to the Superiority Complex, everybody. Your new favorite podcast. We're back. John's here. Jake's here. Patrick's here. Justine's here. Hi, everybody. Howdy. <laughs> leave me hanging there John Howdy. John thank you for participating John <laughs> again, Mario's off Mario's like I know you're out there I can hear you breathing that's right again John the fan favorite my favorite I'll come on mm. Mm. So what audience what you missed two seconds ago was Mario screaming at his phone you'll speak when you're spoken to uh, nope didn't do that today did not we talked a little but he did say Diarrhea. diarrhea diarrhea if you remember the lyrics to the song diarrhea please uh, let us know at uh, soup complex s-o-u-p complex where you can send all of your correspondence tell us hello see uh, see how we're doing uh, interact with us tell us what you think uh tell us what uh, you think we should be watching is there something you want to recommend let me yeah, t- does that happen? Do people do that? Do people recommend sure, films that we should be watching? Sure. And I, I mean, besides Zardoz. And I, <laughs> yeah, and I ignore yeah, them all. Please stop. Yeah. I ignore, ignore them, them all okay. because I know what's best. But we'll give the kids a thrill. Let them interact with us. You know what I mean? Mm. Not unlike, what are they recommending? Not unlike a Joel Hodgson who... Uh, who Joel Hodgson. Joel Hodgson who thumbed up my tweet. That sounds dirty. Oh, really? That sounds dirty. R- really? Yes. That's one of your favorite guys, right? Yeah, Joel, the creator of MST3K, gave my tweet a thumbs up. He was one of two yeah, people to do so. It was a tweet about Joel, and uh, he. I had a dream that he came and he and his partner Trace Ballou, who did the voice, he was Doctor Forrester and did the voice of Crow T Robot in the original show. They did a live performance of Mystery Science Theater at my mom's house, and she got frustrated when Renee showed up and kicked them all out. Our old friend of the show, Renee. What a keep, weird dream. Keeping up with the nerds, dream. yeah. My mom started screaming at Renee, the nicest person of all, and then she kicked everybody out, and I didn't get to finish my Mystery Science Theater performance. Wow. How about that? So, so you're, you're actually in contact with your hero. No, he just gave a thumbs up, John. That's not actual. <laughs> That'd be like if Ray Davies gave me a thumbs up for something. I'd be like, wow, I'm in contact. Yeah, let's not... It's, uh, only, a, it's only a thumb, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think it was, hey, I can't remember. One who, thumb goes a long way. I can't remember. You're who, pretty jaded. Who told the story? I believe it might have been Kyle Dodson told the story. It was somebody. I don't remember who it was. Somebody that they knew uh, went uh, was at a gas station, and Mark Hamill pulled up to the pump next to them, and they wanted to say something and wanted to say something, and and ended up not saying anything. And I guess that he kind of read the energy that the guy wanted to say something. And so right before he left, he said, that's right. You've been pumping gas next to Mark Hamill. And then drove him. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. <laughs> I can't remember who told that's me so that. That's so cool. I can't remember who told me that story. I don't remember. Also very Mark Hamill. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You've been pumping gas next to Mark Hamill. That's, that's a nice, you know, that's really fun. Um, that reminds me, my brother, my brother had a friend who, uh, was a, um, worked on an airline as, uh, I guess whatever the male equivalent of a stewardess is, Uh I guess a steward. Sure. (laughs) Anyway, uh, he was, yeah, flight attendant. There you go. So he was, um, he was in first class sort of handing out drinks or whatever like that. And he notices that, uh, two seats, it's Mel Brooks and his wife, Ann Bancroft. 
And he's doing the same thing. He wants to say something. He doesn't want to bug him. He's kind of looking at him, kind of like wide-eyed. <laughs> and Anne Bancroft, Anne Bancroft smiles and go, that's right, it's us. <laughs> I thought that's really cool. That's really funny uh, because it's just self-deprecating enough. To, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's really funny. I like that. Yeah. I mean, so they're not uptight. They got a sense of humor about it. And they probably get it all the time, you know? Sure. <laughs> That's right. It's us. That's like if we, that's like if we were out in public and one of our listeners saw us. Mm, they heard John sure. Sandy's laugh mm. while we're watching Bullet, and they go, "Hey, are you guys?" And we're like, "That's right. It's us." And then Justine would be like, "Where do you want me to sign your chest?" You know. I only sign these nuts. <laughs> Got him takes a special pen <laughs> it's a roller ball <laughs> there you go it would have to be a ballpoint With pen the, a ballpoint these are the Funny. jokes guys what is Funny. your little these uh, are the jokes yeah. <laughs> uh, patrick what does your little uh, speed racer shirt say there you have a my shirt uh, says Dream Lover, and it's got Freddy Krueger on it. Uh, my friend uh, designed it. That's really cool. I noticed that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Really cool. I Thank like you. It. Freddy he Krueger. makes a lot of really cool stuff. A lot of really cool Star Trek stuff, too, which you might have gotten something from him. You have gotten stickers from him mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Take uh, that back. What is your friend's name? Do you want to plug him? Does he have a website? What's, what's... Uh, Deep Space 90s on Instagram would be the one to go to. Yeah, he did give me, a, I have a, a, a Kardashian sticker. Uh, <laughs> I said that wrong, but a Kardashian. Keeping up with the Kardashians. Uh, yeah. yeah, he gave me a Kardashian. He gave me a Kardashian sticker from him. Uh, by the way, uh, Star Trek Discovery, moving right along, getting really good. Uh, a little bit more pew-pew. L- more pew-pew and less, hmm, than most other Star Trek shows, but I like it. I dig it. I'm digging it. It floats your boat. It's, it's fun. It's a fun show. It tickles your pickle. Yeah. It, you know, they, they really put the money. You know, it's, it's finally, you know, because they got all that streaming money, right? So uh, it's, it's a high-budget show. You know, it doesn't look like, uh, you know. Something that's on UPN or something, you know, they got they got money, they got the budget for the lasers and stuff like that. So, oh, the lasers and the crew is likable. The crew is likable. None of it fits. If you know, it's funny. They all they make these shows to, and they kind of shoe. They have to shoehorn the original series in there, so none of it makes sense. Like with the look, it's like, oh, this ship is so advanced, and then, but this is before. Kirk and Spock, where everything's 60s and retro. And I think they just threw it out the window. They're like, you know what? We're not going to worry about it. We're not going to We're not gonna worry about it. We're just going to go with it. And it works. That's kind of like the Star Wars prequels. It's like, why do these ships look more high-tech? And it's before, years before, uh, you know, A New Hope. But uh, what the hell? Mm. That's because- I think they did the same thing. They just ignored it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Justine, you asked me if I watched this episode of The Falcon and the Snowman. Uh, what did you think of this week's episode? Um, I thought it was fun to watch. Their world just is pretty empty when you watch it, so I don't know if this is a COVID time when they filmed. I don't know. You know mm. what I mean? Like, there's just not a lot of... You don't really go I know what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, I guess not, it is. Yeah. It's not realistic. <laughs> well, which is what they're going for, but it's just 
it feels empty also when you watch it. Well, it's it feels like, like it feels like this is my biggest dig against the show. It feels like everything in the Falcon and the Snowman is a TV version of something we've already seen before in the Marvel Universe. So, like, the scene this week where they went to Madripoor was, like, the TV version of the casino scene in Black Panther. You know what I mean? And, like, like the whole, you know, it's like this, even the story, like, we're after these super soldiers. It's the TV version of Iron Man 3 where they're looking for the people that have that, have been injected with the juice that makes them, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So everything seems kind of like a scaled down version of stuff that we've seen before, which I think hurts it more than, I will tell you this, as much as I hated the first two episodes of WandaVision, at least I was talking about it. Like Falcon the Snowman, I know it's not called that, it's called Falcon the Winter Soldier, but I'm going to keep calling it. Falcon the Snowman seems like we talk about it a little bit and then it's like, okay, it, it like I'm done with it. Like you're not chewing on it for a long time afterwards. But it's it, not yeah. must see TV. Huh? But I will tell you that I did like to the agent 13 reappeared and she kicked a lot of booty. That was like the TV version of atomic blonde, that whole scene with her in the, yeah. Like, Who's agent Did 13? Uh, Sharon Carter. Yeah. And the ending was pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden Baron, a nice Baron Zemo's rich. He was a baron this whole time. I mean, he was in the comics, but now all of a sudden it's like, what, you're rich? We just thought you were a dude that was mad because your family died. Now you're rich? Obscenely yeah. rich? Bruce Wayne yeah. rich? You know? Yeah, he's literally Batman, just the bad guy. He's a bad version of Batman. He's a bad man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you got to see him in his iconic purple mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's worth watching, John, but it's just not like, hey, I got to find out what happened to Falcon and Snowman. This week. Yeah, I wonder. I guess, yeah, they are filming in the middle of a uh, pandemic. They probably don't have a lot of group shots or people on the streets, or it probably does look scaled down, right? You can't have a lot of people. It just so. seems like a set. It seems like a set throughout the whole thing. Yeah, and, um, yeah. yeah it just feels empty. Yeah, mm. it's interesting. That's probably the case for a lot of movies and TV, like in the last year. I mean, how are they doing it? They're shooting stuff, but they can't. I don't know how they're doing it. I, they finished shooting the new Batman movie, and it makes you wonder how do they, how do they actually do it? With you can't have too many people in one shot unless you do it with CGI. No, you can just quarantine everybody and leave them in a bubble. I guess that's what they're doing. I guess with Batman, that's what they did. Yeah, everyone was shooting kind of like in a bubble. Sure. Hmm. Are you pumped for the new Batman? It takes place on Earth too, John. Yeah, I'm not sure I even know what that means. I'm I'm kind of don't I'm not that much of a geek that I would know what that means. Which is Earth too. Justine, do you want to feel this? Did first? you see the preview for Loki? I was just gonna ask no. if you saw the preview for Loki. <laughs> you know who's in it you know who's in uh you know who's in it for, for inexplicably, I don't know why, but one of our favorite one of the people that gets brought up on this podcast a lot. Wow. 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 <laughs> What do you guys say? Wow. Wow. What is this? I'm so hyped for it. I'm so <laughs> How many mops? <laughs> All, mm, yeah, <laughs> no. Because of Kong Skull Island, I already liked uh, him, but then Kong Skull Island like solidified mm, that one for me. Mm, that sounds painful. I was like, oh, he's buff in there? Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, Loki's mm. coming to TV next month. Mm. Yes, June 11th. So Falcon and the Snowman is going to be wrapped up by June 11th. I guess it will be, huh? Because we're only in April. Yeah. They have seven more episodes. 
So it'll it'll follow right. Oh, by the way, speaking on Disney Plus, John, Disney yeah. Plus, Disney Plus put out this new vintage Star Wars collection. It, hmm. it includes the two Ewok movies from the eighties. That <laughs> but <laughs> more yeah. more interesting to you, John. It will yes. have the it has the the original Clone Wars, the two D Clone Wars. Ah. That, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And they were all. They, I, I, nobody even remembers that. I'm the only one that think like that better than the second no, Clone Wars. I, I loved them. I loved them. They were great. They were great. Really great look. Good. Yeah. Great look. Really well done. And those were short. Like, they were like two minutes long or something. Right? Yeah. Well, they edited them all together into two seasons. Nice. Seasons. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. So, yes, you can find those on uh, Disney Plus under the okay. Star Wars it's called Star Vintage Star Wars Collection. And then there's another mm. one. I think it's the old Ewoks cartoon series and then Oh, the droids. Uh, you know, the droids isn't on there, oddly enough, but yeah. Because that was a cartoon series, I think the same time as the Ewok yeah, cartoon those series. Those were very Saturday morning-ish. They weren't very Yeah, who did those? Was that Hanna Barbera or was I it Filmation? I don't or? think so. I think it was I don't mm. know. Mm, good mm, question. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, very very Saturday morning, yeah. Bringing it back to Joel Hodson, John, uh, Mystery Science Theater, they just started another Kickstarter to, so what they're, nice. they're trying to do is they're trying to get, end their dependence on a network. So Netflix ran for two seasons and they dropped them. So they're going to try to uh, just uh, publicly fund the next batch of movies. Nice. Yeah, so if I know you, and if I know you, you're whipping out your checkbook to uh, help them out. Excuse me while I whip this out, Joel. And uh, ah. help you out with some money. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna send money their way because it's one of my favorite things. So why shouldn't you fund it? But they're coming up with this thing called the the Gizmoplex, and it's basically a platform for them to release live. It'll be like their own streaming channel. App. That's yeah, cool. and they'll be able to like do live events and stuff. And one of the perks is you get if you donate to the Kickstarter, you get. A membership to this thing where you can get people in and you can group watch uh, episodes of the series together. So that's, that's oh, that's really cool. Yeah, that seems like something fun. So check it out. Check out the the, the uh, Mystery Science Theater Kickstarter on uh, Kickstarter. Do you guys use Kickstarter? I kickstarted a couple of board games. I, I do a lot a, of stuff. I really have to. I need to stop. I have to. <laughs> yeah, I have to get off of that because my Hellboy <laughs> board game was from Kickstarter. Mm. 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 I wow. Just, I just funded. What the hell did I just fund? I funded a game recently. I can't remember. Video what it game, was. board game? Board game. Board game. I can't remember what it was. I fund these things and I forget. And then two years later, a box shows up and I'm like, what the hell is this? Oh, yeah. What did I order? Mm-hmm. We should kickstart. Uh, we should we put it we, like we'd like to start a pop culture podcast. Throw it up on pick uh, on Kickstarter. We have a backlog of <laughs> episodes you can refer to. No, no, no. We don't tell them, and then we just release the episodes one at a time, and we take like the next and five they, years off. They hear the topical references and go, "Wait a minute, they're making Reagan jokes. What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> we make Reagan jokes no matter what. That's not going to stop us. Let's see who was president was it when we started. It was Obama, right? Yes, we started in the Obama era, and then we we made. So they'll hear some Obama reference. We make, we they're going to hear. Wait a, a minute! They'll hear a lot of Trump stuff. When was this recorded? 
Sorry. They're making Ike jokes. <laughs> I like Ike. Uh, what do you guys? Have you guys been watching anything lately? What are you guys watching? I'm the one watching all the Discovery and all the blah blah blues and the blue blues. I watched Warren's stories today, all eight episodes. What is it called? Warren stories. Read it's about clothes. Wow. It's on Netflix, but I like the first episode because it it goes into a nudist community, and I thought it was so fun to watch. Sure. <laughs> it was good. You kind of raised your eyebrows there. Yeah. yeah well, like the first one made me. The first episode made me cry. Second one made me cry, and the other ones, I was like, "All right, all right, all right. You guys are just asking for tears. I'm done." So I oh. stopped giving. A, n- it. a nudist colony. <laughs> the first one was yeah, but they mm. talk about clothes that mean something to them. So some of them dealt oh. with like someone who died. Oh wow! Or um, I didn't know that it was popular when um. People die, they make t-shirts, and then they airbrush. You know those, like, 80s, 90s yeah. airbrush t-shirts? Yeah. They do that, like a memorial shirt. It's super cute. And, um, yeah, just people being attached to certain clothing of articles, and they're holding it up. And, yeah. That being said, what is your favorite article of clothing, Justine? If you had to pick one. One? Mm-hmm. I don't know. All right. We'll get back to that. I I can tell you the least favorite. Hmm. Or at least Justine's or any woman's least favorite. What's that? I already know what you're going to say. It's the bra. It's the bra. It's the bra. Hmm. Say it again. Hmm. (laughs) It's the bra. Did Sandy tell you that? Maybe my Sailor Moon bathing (laughs) suit. Sailor Moon bathing suit is your favorite thing of all time? Uh, So far. For like a good two years. (laughs) Wow. I got to go. It's got to be my, I have a reversible Dodgers jacket. That's Brooklyn on on the inside and then you flip it around and it's LA. Oh, that's cool. Ah, I I love that. Wow. Nice. What's the material? It's kind of like a, it's, it's kind of the same as the, um, it's like a bomber style jacket. And it's uh, not not canvas, but it feels like that kind of like a like a thicker. Oh God, what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's almost like a um, like a dungaree material, kind of like, like dungarees. Yeah, yeah kind of like that. Nobody says dungarees anymore. Yeah, kind of like I that. I was at- I was attached to some of my socks I bought when we were in London, um, but I bought really cheapy ones, so they're all really crappy, and I had to throw them away now. But it made me pretty sad recently. London socks. Yeah. What made them London socks? <laughs> I bought it there. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, I mean, why were they? Why were they cool to begin with? Just uh, they felt good or uh, memories it was just of red, London? Red, white, and blue. I like the colors. Uh, on it it looks like, very Londony to me. That's like people that go to mm. go to Hawaii and buy a Hawaiian shirt at Costco in Hawaii in Honolulu, and they're like, "Oh, oh what look. are you talking about? Go to Walmart." <laughs> In Hawaii, Wally World has the yeah. best Hawaiian like souvenirs. Ah, what has the best Hawaiian souvenirs? Wally World. What's Wally World? Walmart. Walmart. That's what they call Wally. That's what they call. Who calls it Wally World? Uh, my buddy Christine. does. Alex says that. America. <laughs> America. America. Fuck yeah! I hate Walmart. 
Oh, John, are you okay? A little allergies? COVID? Dude, uh, allergies uh, are yeah. kicking my ass. <laughs> I love how you jumped from allergies to COVID. Yeah. Uh, I get my I get my second shot on Saturday. Well, apparently Patrick almost died. How did you feel, Justine? I didn't almost die. Um, I was tired, and my arm was sore for a while, and then second shot. Annoyed. The third day, it was gone. First. But uh, okay. the first day, I was just dizzy and uh, lightheaded. That's all. That's right. From the first shot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, first shot. I, I, yeah, I had a weird 24 hours from the first shot. But uh, I don't know. Second shot, I know people have been out, out for like two, three days with the second shot. So I'm crossing my fingers. Uh, do, you guys give any, do you guys have any credence mm-hmm. to, the, to the idea that... Uh, if you have a reaction to the first shot, that means you're exposed to COVID. Does that, uh, do you guys feel like maybe? Yeah, who said that? I Somebody said that. Was that you? That's, <laughs> somebody that's, said that's, that. that's, the, that's what's going around. That's what people are saying. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. I mean, I don't I know. It's why. possible. I, I got really sick twice, and it could be, but who knows? Hmm. I remember. Has anybody had the second shot yet? I go Friday. Friday's my second shot. I'm on the. Hey, well, that, speaking of which, Jake. Did you go get your first shot yet? <laughs> no. What are you waiting for? Hell, the, the freeze burn. over. <laughs> Did Sandy get hers? He doesn't believe in it. I don't. Yeah, I'm probably just gonna get the Johnson and Johnson because I keep putting it off. Oh, one shot. Uh, did, okay, did Sandy get hers? It's not. You that, still gotta go do it. It's not that yeah. easy to find either. You have to find it. I know. Oh, I know. So what are you doing? <laughs> so what are you doing that you can't go get yourself vaccinated? Pass. <laughs> no, there's no passing. <laughs> this isn't game yeah. night. We're there's, a lot of, there's a lot of really great. I'm gonna sit this game out. out. <laughs> you know, there's some new models to pay. It's very yeah. important. You want to yeah. con- you want to continue to do those, right? Yeah. <laughs> so go get a shot, you dummy. <laughs> Mario's like, uh, don't die on me, man. Don't die on me. Well, Jake, here's the I love your brother. I know why Jake's jack, uh, drag, jack, almost said jacking his feet, which dragging his balls. Yeah. I know. <laughs> jacking his feet and dragging his balls. Okay. I know why he's, I know he's, why he's dragging his webs because I said, <laughs> because I said, I said, as soon as everybody gets vaccinated, we can all get back together and do the podcast together. And that means Jake's not going to be able to stare at his computer monitor for the 90 minutes it takes to record the podcast. That's what it is. No. <laughs> his huevos. <laughs> no. Are you still laughing about dragging his webs? Yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty, pretty clever. Yeah, he's dragging the webs. I can appreciate what you did. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, we could all be together, but we can put uh, Jake like in a plexiglass box there with a go. little. We can put the mic from the top and then seal the top. And yeah, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> better than getting a shot. <laughs> I'd rather be in a plexiglass box in the studio. Okay. Are you, Justine? Are you okay? Were you piercing your nose? What was what was going on there just now? <laughs> I want to get a septum piercing, but I just like. Mm-mm. Whoa! Don't do it. Does it, you think it'll hurt to get your septum pierced? Yeah, everything getting pierced hurts. Mm. It goes away after a bit. 
What what what's the reasoning behind the septum piercing, Justine? You just want to assert your dominance over Patrick? <laughs> Is that what a nose ring? Like, I feel like something's <laughs> missing in my on my nose. You, wow. Hmm. Have you had I a piercing before? Of friends, uh... I don't think I can. I can't do like a piercing on my nose because I feel like my nose is too small for that. But I feel like a septum, a septum one would be better. Your nose is huge. Wait, what? <laughs> it's really not. You don't <laughs> have a big. No, you know, you have a small. You do have a small nose. That's weird. I never realized how tiny your nose is until you, now. That you, now that you nice save. So you don't want the little diamond, the little diamond stud on the side. No, mm. it's too small. Now that I'm looking at you, you, you're almost like a Voldemort with the lack of nose. <laughs> Christ, <laughs> trying too hard. <laughs> yeah, how would how would he get a septum? Uh, he'd have to like pierce his face. I guess she's all nostril. She's all nostril. Hmm. <laughs> Just two holes in the face for breathing. Not unlike a. That'd be yeah. Lunchani Senior going, I need to pierce my face. Oh, but first, mm. when was the last time? Let me ask you guys a personal question. And I hope this doesn't get too personal, but since we're just chatting right now casually, when was the last time you enjoyed a Santo movie? A movie starring El Santo, Mexican wrestling legend El Santo. Mexican folk hero, really. Anybody? Mm, I don't know. All right, I want you guys to go onto your Roku devices tonight and download a service called Vix, V-I-X, and uh, you can, it's it's all these Spanish programs. It's like a, basically, it's like a Tubi or like one of the free TV uh, streaming services, but for- He has uh, a lot of monster movies. Yeah. You ever watch them? They're, they're crazy. Doesn't he meet like the- the Aztec mummy. Doesn't he meet the Aztec mummy? Oh, he mummy meets the and... Aztec mummy. He meets Frankenstein. He meets Dracula. Yeah. He meets zombies. Yeah. He meets La Llorona. Uh, yeah, they're all crazy. Anything can happen in a Santa movie. He's just hanging out at his house wearing a cardigan and his uh, wrestling mask. And they call him in and he has to beat up like a witch or something. They're great. He What's the era? Young. What's the era for those? Is it 60s? They start out in the 60s and he goes 60s. all the way up to the 80s. Go all the way up to the okay. 80s. He did it for like 20 some years. Yeah. Is it the same guy behind the mask? Yes, yes. He, he, he died at a young age. He's in his sixties. I think he died two years after he retired from wrestling. Sixty-six. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. He died of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Um, in nineteen eighty-four. Man, I guess the, the Astro Zombies finally got him. Got to watch him. Got to watch him. They're great. They are crazy. Astro Zombies. They're they just the, they're the greatest low-budget movies you've ever seen because they're just they make no sense, but they're fantastic. There's no reason a wrestler should just be running around beating up zombies, but he does. Yeah. Did uh, Mystery Science Theater ever do those? Yeah, uh, they the did one? one called Samson versus the Vampire Women. When they dubbed it into English, he was given the name Samson instead of Santa. Mm. So, yeah, Samson versus the Vampire Women. Oh, John, you would love it. The Vampire Women are all very beautiful. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Interesting. Uh, uh, mm. One of my favorites that I watched was uh, Santo and Blue Demon, who was another wrestler. Uh, Santo and Blue Demon versus the um, uh, the what was it? The Dracula and the Wolfman. And then at the end, they wrestle. Mm. They fight all these wolf men. They're like a bunch of Michael Landons running around, teenage werewolves. Good stuff. Mm. Good stuff, guys. All right, Vix V I X. Vix. 
That's like that's what that's what Latino people will tell you to put on your nose if you have COVID. Ponte Vicks. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's Ponte. funny. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys ready? It's time for Digital Movie Club. Oh, I forgot to cue up the music. Oh my gosh, guys! Talk amongst yourselves while I cue up the. Uh, oh my gosh. Oh my god. Okay. I just I just got an appointment for a Johnson and Johnson at eleven o'clock. Hey, oh, when is it? Look at Good that. Good job, buddy. Really? Right it's on. a Mario. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, I live. Because uh, I'm by Par- uh, Fairplex. Nice man. I'm close. When I'm is close it? To a, wide, a big distribution area, so it's easy. Eleven o'clock tomorrow. You could. Have- <laughs> wow, yeah. that's quick. Freaking I'm, listen to Mario. Take me two seconds. <laughs> what I'm pissed about is that. I, he's gonna beat me. Yes. Like after yep. I shamed him, he beats me by a day. He's, he's one gonna beat all of us. Yeah, he's one. He's gonna done. be. He finished. Uh, yeah, oh, ahead of all of us. What a jerk! God, how is that possible? Yeah. <laughs> wow. A, good job. It took a so week he'll of be. Shaming. So he'll yeah. be waiting at the comic. He'll be waiting at the comic shop. Going, where are you guys? Yeah, come hey. on, Mario. Where are you at? I'm gonna like, be. I'm ready now. I'm gonna be sick as a dog at work Friday, and he's just gonna be chilling at home already. Because he got yeah. his, he's one and done. Nicole had no side effects whatsoever. So really, yeah. With none. what'd you get? She got the Johnson and Johnson. Ah, so she had no side okay. effects whatsoever. So all right, all right, guys. Let's all right. Well, that, means it, that means it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. placebo. It means she's not for vaccinated. Pe- I love it for people that are never happy. Hey, I didn't get side effects. Maybe it didn't work. <laughs> Exactly. Where's my side effects? There's hey, Doc, how come there. I didn't get side effects? There are people out there who are like, why didn't I get side effects? Oh, my God, did I already have COVID? Oh, my God, if I got that. Yeah, and then your friend's just like, yeah, you probably didn't get the real vaccine. They probably just gave you salt water or something. Just gave you a, yeah, they're just giving all these people Johnson Johnson placebo. Here we go, guys. <laughs> Digital movies! Digital movies! You're in the club. Patrick, you're supposed to do the digital movies part. Nope, I've been removed. No. <laughs> Nicole, can I, I remove my social medias and on personal conversations with people I know and said no more? Wow, wow. Did you, listen, guess who runs the podcast? Nicole, me, me, Whoa. I run and who, the show. and who runs Mario and who runs Mario? <laughs> oh, she runs, she runs the rest of the, the game, but this little this this is my free parking space right here. This is my free parking right here, all right. This is your man cave. Yeah. That's what that's what you think. Free parking. I brought up the worst board. That's what game she leads you. So that we that's could, what she leads you to believe. Man. Yeah, Nicole really does run the show. Don't ever doubt that. Uh but she's a good egg. She's a good egg and uh, <laughs> I love it. A good egg. We have we have a I've, she she and I are gonna do a podcast together. Uh we, we just haven't had a chance to sit down together and knock it out. Where we're gonna go over all the Cary Grant movies that we've been watching that you we really yeah 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 we have a we have wow. a, that maybe that'll be for our pa- maybe that'll be for our Patreon subscribers. I would love to hear that. So you've been watching those on the uh, Criterion Channel? Yeah. So John, you could you'd be able to. Uh, you. I would love to listen yeah, to that. You could, wow. you could by signing up uh, Patreon and supporting the show. How far back they go? <laughs> 
Uh, we go all the way back to, I think the earliest one we do is uh, The Awful Truth, I think is the earliest one. Nice, nice. The Awful, so awful Truth saying- all the way up to Charade. <sighs> Which so what you're saying watch. is that you have a Patreon for your own personal little podcast, but for the main no, podcast, no, no, no. Right? That's, what nah. that's what I'm nope. saying. That's what I'm saying. We this is how we we bust out. We this is how we this will be the first bonus material. But uh, I will do I will do a Patreon for you. No, I will John, just to no, hear no. to hear you no, guys no, talking no. about Cary Grant movies. I will no, do no, it. No 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 no. You mustn't because you're going to be a beneficiary <laughs> when we all get it handed out. You mustn't. <laughs> I've been looking more at uh, buy me a coffee, which people where people can leave a one-time donation as well, which I like. Hey Mario, does that Criterion Channel do the supplemental stuff, like the behind-the-scenes, yes, documentary interview Depending stuff? Depending on, they'll have what are called Criterion Editions on there, and those Criterion Editions okay. will have not all of them do it, but some of them do, yeah. Because I just picked up the Awful Truth Criterion disc has all this bonus stuff. Uh, so does it? Did have- you get to see any of that? Does it talk about how uh, my favorite moment in that movie is when he says, uh, when he comes to visit the dog and he says, hey, (laughs) he says, hey, he doesn't look so good. You know, are you sure you're feeding him or whatever? And uh, Irene Dunn, really, who I really discovered watching these Cary Grant movies, and I'm I'm really sad she didn't do more because she's great. Uh She's really great. Uh, Did they play My Favorite Wife? She says, she says to him, well, you don't look so hot yourself. And then Cary Grant just gives her the most deadpan, dirty look. And it's the greatest thing in the world. Uh, it's really funny. Uh, and then, of course, Ralph Bellamy being the stooge. God, he was such a good stooge. So she's in two, at least two more movies with him. I think uh, My Favorite Wife and, uh, what is it, Penny Serenade or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's really good. She's really funny. Really like her. Yeah. You know, she was what, she, she was at Disneyland opening day uh, to uh, hit the champagne bottle on the Mark Twain, I think. Oh, is that true? Yeah, yeah. She was still kind of a big deal then. And so they said, hey, come on down and be the christen the uh the first voyage of the Mark Twain. Yeah. Yeah, because she was a she was a UN ambassador later on in her life. Like Oh, really? In the fifties, yeah, yeah. She no was like kidding. A, yeah. Wow. All right, guys. That? Let's uh let's get to the digital movie code because that's what we're talking about. This week we had two great movies, two fantastic movies. Charade and In the Heat of the Night. And as always, we're going to have Dan, Handsome Dan, last to get vaccinated, but first to get vaccinated. Son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> first like that? to be inoculated son of completely. A, what a son of a gun. Uh, last to be vaccinated, yeah, but first to be in the clear. But first to be in the clear. What uh, What would you like to, since we are your guests and you are our host, what is mm-hmm. your pleasure? What would you like to start with? Well, since you're getting vaccinated on Friday and you're going to be having those the cold sweats you're gonna uh, be gonna be yeah. with, the, with that fever i think we should do in the heat of the night break out uh uh in a cold sweat dude dude no nobody nobody likes you <laughs> okay. i'm the only like, one don't leave me hang don't, don't leave, leave me hanging all right in the heat of the night patrick you know what to do take it away Alrighty, In the Heat of the Night, released August 2nd, 1967, directed by one Norman Jewison. Uh, got a 7.9 on IMDb, a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, based off of the book by John Ball. John and what? With John Ball. Oh, okay. And with a 
budget of $2 million estimated. Gross $27.6 million worldwide. $27.6 million worldwide. One of the sweatier movies we've done in our uh, in our uh, time here. You know, we talk about movies that have atmosphere and they just look like it looks like it's hot. This movie looks like it's just the most miserable uh humid and just gross environment you could be in especially if you're one uh Virgil Tibbs uh, but uh yeah this is a this is a good one and it was based for a the basis for a long running TV series in the 80s which was weird they came up with a TV series about it like what 15 years later John 15 probably 20 years later I think it was after all in the family uh, Carol O'Connor did it after all in the family so yeah, he plays, yeah, I guess it was eighties. He plays Chief Gillespie, and of course, and Howard Rollins played uh, Tibbs. That's, that's right. And uh, so on the screen, we're of course we're watching the great Rod Steiger, and this is our first uh, Rod Steiger movie, and uh, the great Sydney Party, our first Sydney Party movie, uh, and probably one that he is uh, most famous for. So, uh, John, you had seen this before. I hadn't. You had not. Believe it or not. Okay, no. well, let's start with John. You rarely get to start first, John. You're usually the last person we call on. Uh, what did you think? Uh, how did it grab you? Oh, it was great. It was a real knockout. Um, yeah, really, the atmosphere is just crazy from that first scene where the guy's trying to kill the fly on, on the side of the uh, calendar. You just go, holy shit. You know, they really put you in the... You know, they're in that sort of greasy diner, and you're just like, wow. You could just, yeah, you can feel the heat. Even though it's nighttime, you can feel the heat. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was just extraordinary. I guess, I guess Rod Steiger won Best best Actor. And um, it won Best Picture, I guess. was It won the Oscar for Best Picture that year, too. And I, I guess Sidney Poitier had already won an Oscar a couple years earlier. For Lilies of the so, Field, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this is, man, the two of them are just amazing. Um, and I guess really different ways of working. They said that Steiger was uh, more of a method actor and uh, Poitier had another way of kind of doing it. Uh, uh, and, but they, it worked since their characters were both coming from a different place. Sure. It worked that both, both actors had a different way of arriving at the same results. Yeah. So no, I thought it was amazing. Everything works so great. It's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing story and boy, you know, 67. So you're right in the middle of the trouble, you know, this is super timely when you think about what's going on in America when this movie came out with the riots and all that. And, um, it just shows you, I mean, Christ, you can imagine you know, what it's like to be South of the Mason Dixon line, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, Sidney Poitier said he, if he wanted to know where they were going to film this, he said, great script. I want to do it. But he says, uh, I'm not going South of the Mason Dixon line. Cause if we're actually shooting in Mississippi, it's crazy down there. So they were they were planning uh, on shooting like in Illinois, I think is what it was. Um, I think Sparta is the name. So they said we won't have to take the name off of any of the the signs or any of the water tower. We can just make it Sparta, Mississippi. You know. Sure. But uh, no, it's got every scene is just sharp, and you, the tension is just uh, you know you could just feel the tension ratcheting up almost every scene. You're just like fuck. What a time to, you know, to be in the South. It's probably not much better now, but holy cow, you know, just like every move you make, um, that scene, I read that that scene where, uh, he slaps the guy back in the greenhouse Yes, that, uh, he insisted that they do it that way. He read the script. It wasn't in the script. 
And Cindy Poitier said, look, in real life, I would not take that. So if you want this movie to be true to life, you know, I would, it would be an instinct. I wouldn't even think twice. I would, if I'm from the North, somebody slaps me, I'm going to slap him back before I even think about it. So they said, yeah, that'll work. So I guess evidently that wasn't in the script. And he says, I love the script. That's the only thing I insist on is that that scene's not going to work unless I slap him right back. So they weren't sure how that was going to play <laughs> if you ran this thing in the South, you know, in the sixties, but they said, everybody loved that scene. And, uh, I think uh, Norman Jewison said he saw it. They would go and see that with different audiences. I think him and Potier and, uh, Steiger, they wanted to see how different audiences responded and they say the black audiences would shout. Yeah. <laughs> and the white audiences would just gasp. <laughs> So that tells you where the country's at in 1967, you know? <laughs> uh, I do love that it's, I was telling, because uh, Nicole was watching it last night, and it's it's great that it's like, an, it is, it's, it's, there's not even a half a second. He instantly slaps him back. Instantly. Uh, yeah. There's not even, yeah. he doesn't even wait to think about it. He just smacks him right back. By the way, that, yeah. shout out to Brent from the Home Video Hustle. That's his absolute favorite scene in the whole movie. Uh, so much, yeah. so, so much so that when they did the video of it, he put it on as like a stinger at the end of the, <laughs> at the yeah. end of the video. And then I love it. Half a second later, he starts crying. Oh, it's the best. The guy just like yeah. he like leaves, and then the guy starts crying. Oh, good. Yeah, good, good stuff. It's a hell of a scene. I just love what he said. He said, "I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate." He says, "You know, I'm gonna slap him back if you want this thing to to play out like true life." You know. He says, maybe somebody from that town wouldn't, but I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania. I am not going to hesitate. Some guy slaps me. I'm going to slap him back. It's going to be an instinct. Yeah. So yeah, I love the fact that it's yeah, like, like a second later, he just winds back and lets him have it. He's, he's from Philly. Yeah. He's not, he's not going to take it. Yeah. And you know, the, the scene that follows that a couple scenes later when William showered, he's the mayor. And he says, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, the last sheriff wouldn't have thought twice about shooting him dead and saying it was, uh, you know, self-defense. You're just like, holy shit. You know, you're like, fuck. If you have no idea how those times were, this really paints the picture. This movie gives you a, a crash course in what it was like to be in the deep South in the sixties, you know, sure. and they don't even, they don't even give him respect that he's due as a fellow professional. You know, Rod, exactly. Rod Steiger is still needling him and still saying things like, you know, when they're driving through the cotton fields, he's, he's, he tells them, oh, you, what does he say? He's like, oh, none of that. None for of you. that for you, huh, Virgil? Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. Like, oh, you know, like just the passive aggressive, uh, even as a, as a fellow police officer, they don't give him any, the, the respect that he's due because he's black. It takes him, it takes him like the whole damn movie to finally you know, start treating him with some respect, you know, slowly just, it takes to like the last scene and you, and then you come to realize he's sort of an outsider too. If you really look at some of those scenes, like when they're talking in that, at where he lives, where Gillespie lives and it's like, they don't like, they don't like me much better. You know, mm -hmm. I get no help. They don't, they think I'm an outsider an interloper. They don't trust me. They don't like me. I got nothing, you know? And, uh, so I thought that was interesting that he's, he's sort of an outsider too, but, uh, not quite the outsider that, that, uh, Virgil is. And yeah. so finally by that last scene, God, almost like when he's putting him on the train, you realize he's got this grudging respect for him, mm -hmm. you know? So I don't know, solid movie, solid script, solid performances, beautifully shot. That has, that's Haskell Wexler shooting it. Yeah. So it's got, you know, they're playing around with some new cameras. I think he's got, it's one of the first movies 
to have that ha- uh, handheld steady cam or what would become the steady cam. So some of those scenes where they're out in the street with the cars and all that, they're actually or that at, at the end when they're like coming at him with the chains and all that, he's out there with the steady cam. I think it's like a precursor to the steady cam. It's a, it's a regular camera, but they don't have to lug around this great big giant thing. He can just kind of hold it. So, um, and of course the music, you can't talk about this, this movie without saying how great the music is. And, um, Norman Jewison said for that, for the opening, we've got to have, we've got the song, but we've got to have, we've got to have somebody great singing it. And by that time they'd gotten Quincy Jones. He says, it's going to have to be somebody with a feel for this. It's going to have to be not just like an orchestral score. It's going to have to be something that's bluesier, jazzier. So he said, it's got to be Quincy Jones. And when he says, who can we get to sing that, that opening song? And, um, Quincy Jones says, how about the best blues singer in America? And uh, Norman Jewison says, Ray Charles? How can we get Ray Charles? And he goes, man, I grew up with Ray Charles. We go back to when we were teenagers in uh, Seattle. So he's all, okay, if you think you can get him. <laughs> so, I mean, the song is just amazing. It puts you right where you need to be when the, when the movie starts. And the score is incredible. They say it really changes the way that movie scores are written. It's, it's really different. Uh, and it's a whole new approach and it's because it's Quincy Jones. Yeah. Uh, he's coming at it from a whole different uh, perspective, uh, with a background in blues and jazz. So it doesn't feel, they, uh, said other movies set in the South in the fifties and sixties, they didn't feel right because it was like a big orchestral studio, um, orchestra and it didn't sound right. So he says, we've got to get this to where it sounds of the place and of the time. And, um, so really, I think that's half the reason the movie works is the, is the soundtrack. And you can put that down to Quincy Jones. So, well, John, did you, uh, let me ask you one more, one question, uh, not having seen this, uh, was this something that you just never got around to, uh, or it just kept falling off your radar? What was the, I just never got around to it. You know, there's a lot of big movies I haven't seen. People think I've seen everything. There's a hell of a lot of iconic movies I've never gotten around to. For for any number of reasons, you know, the timing's not right. It just falls through the cracks. This is one I've always wanted to see. I just never got around to it. So that's the great thing about the podcast is once in a while, a a movie will turn up. I'll go, oh, great. I've always wanted to see this, you know, and so there you go. It kind of great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you liked it. All right. uh, Yeah. Let's shoot on up to Justine and I'm going to go with top right corner. uh, Justine to block. Uh, that's a Hollywood Squares reference. Uh, Justine, what did you think of In the Heat of the Night? It was, I mean, you get frustrated, but then you appreciate that um, the way the story was told in the movie. Mm-hmm. They didn't sugarcoat much. Like, they didn't have the guy fall in love with them right away. Yeah. They didn't get along right away. Um it's pretty truthful, hopefully, to what it was back then. So it was tough to watch, but appreciative. It is very, it you know, it's it's funny that I was thinking of specifically of the scene where, so we, we forgot to give the synopsis, but there it takes place in the deep south in Mississippi. Uh, Sidney Poitier is, he's a police officer from Philadelphia who just happens to be in town waiting for a train. A murder takes place in the town, and he's picked up at the train station in the middle of the night waiting for he's taking a train back to Philadelphia. He had had gone to visit his mother. I think he said in, in Tennessee 
And so he's he's on a train back to Philadelphia. He's got to switch trains in this little town. And he's just sitting in the train station alone, minding his own business. And uh, then the great Warren Oates, who is a deputy in the town, uh, picks him up and says, here's our man. He's carrying $600 or he's carrying too much money. Basically, the implication is it's too much money for a black man to have, right? Where is this black man going to have all this money? It's got to be him. This guy's got to be our man because the victim that died was rich and he was um, he was robbed. So this is our suspect. And you've come to find later that he's a Philadelphia police officer, but he doesn't identify himself as such at first. He doesn't try to talk himself out of it. He, you, you get the idea that he knows where he is. It's not going to do him any good. He's just going to go along with what this cop tells him to do, and he gets in the car and goes to the station. So just that scene alone, the beginning when you first see Sidney Poitier and the way he's treating him, calls the, the cop calls him boy immediately, uh, doesn't let him talk, um, and just takes him away. So it's very shocking at first if you're watching this now and going back to just how comfortable they are dropping the N-word, or calling a grown man boy can be very shocking and very uncomfortable and uh, anger inducing. I think, I think it's uh, kind of, kind of, I mean, you know, it pisses you off a little bit. Am I, am I, am I touching on some feelings, Justine? You're just staring at me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like the way he, um, I like the way he handled himself and then later on was a cop and showed it and you're like, oh shit. But, you know, even the, I mean, it takes a lot, especially for a police department to realize that they're wrong, you know? Yeah. So watching it, it was like tough to see because you're like, yes, you're doing it wrong. And then this guy just kept pinning it on the wrong people and it was frustrating and... I don't know. It was it was tough to watch, and it kind of it, um. I mean, because I was I've been watching uh, what's it called, Lovecraft Country, and it, it kind of oh. took me back to that show. Yeah, that first episode, especially of Lovecraft Country. Yeah, when they said they were a sundown state, uh-huh. or whatever it is, yeah, yeah. sundown something, um, sundown town, yeah, town, and it's intense so when you watch it i was like oh this is just like it just took me back to that and that was illinois john was mentioning illinois earlier uh it's not like some of these you know some of those towns along the border of the mason dixon line like illinois you know uh those towns are can be just as bad you know or or, you know especially out in the rural areas because you have huge areas concentrations of a country like chicago where you have minorities concentrated, but out in the countryside, it's still predominantly white. And so those places aren't necessarily uh, welcoming to people of color. And this this was especially true back in 1967 when this was filmed. Yeah, and when the cop is um, calling him out on it, where he's like, you're smarter than this, you're this, then all those things, I was like, whoa. It was... uh, (laughs) It was interesting to watch because it just said a lot of truth in there. I don't know. I liked it. Um, at the end of it, I ended up looking him up because I didn't know much about Sydney. Mm-hmm. And I found out that ASU just named their film school after Sydney Potier recently this yeah. year. Yeah, he's a great... So, we didn't, there's another movie that we that we didn't get to called Lilies of the Field. 
Um, and that's a I little, saw the preview for that. That's a I little bit. It. That's a little bit more lighthearted. But he, if you want to, there's a couple. There's a lot of great movies he's in at this time. He, uh, too well, there is love. one I want to watch. Is um, look, guess who's coming to dinner? Oh, with, guess who's coming film. with uh, with Audrey Hepburn? No, it's Catherine yeah, Hepburn. Not Audrey, um, Catherine and her. And I Spencer saw Tracy. For, I saw a preview for it, and I was getting really annoyed with the daughter. But then I remembered <laughs> he's, the one, he's the one who's supposed to be dating him, but they never showed him in the trailer, their mm. trailer that Amazon made. Yeah. And um, I really wanted to watch it. It's just you had to rent it, and I didn't feel like paying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, check out, uh, you know, he's got a great body of work. He's a great actor. And what's funny is, like, he kind of took, he, he took a different turn in the 70s, started doing, like, comedies with Bill Cosby and 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 did a couple of different things and then he was gone he was didn't act for what about 10 years john maybe 10 or 15 yeah he turned up he turned up in the late 80s doing a few things but he, he took a, yeah that's right sneakers that's yeah, right he's that really movie. good in that. we're gonna, yeah we're gonna get to that once we get to the 90s whenever that is we're gonna get to sneakers but he's in that and he's great uh but yeah he's one of those actors that's always a joy to watch and what i was watching his performance here and he's so much smarter than everybody else um, that you don't, he doesn't really need to be physically intimidating, but I love that scene where they throw him in the jail cell and he can tell this guy does not want to be in there with him and he's about to do something stupid. He just points a finger at him and he says, cool it, Harvey. <laughs> he's like, what is he? He's like, cool it, Harvey. Don't do something. You know, I'm the no, only one that cool it, Harvey. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Yeah. But he just, <laughs> he's so good. Cause he, you could just tell he knows, you know, he's got all these you know, quote unquote, big city methods, you know, and that has to annoy, that has to gall these rednecks that he's dealing with that, you know, this, this black guy's smarter than them. He knows what he's doing. He's capable. He makes more money than they do. So there's all these reasons for him to hate him, but he never lords it over him. He's just always about doing, he wants to do that job. He wants to find, you know, he's a dedicated Until policeman. he tries to frame Elder Cott. Oh, Endicott. Until he starts to frame him. Endicott. And then he admits it. He was like, I was so blinded by it. And you're like, wow. It's just very powerful, the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and them just saying things out loud was, I didn't expect. So it was, I thought it was a great movie. I started watching a lot of, um, I started going down this whole YouTube thing of watching all of his acceptance speeches. And then he got admitted to the AFI in 1992. And people were doing a bunch of speeches for him. So I was watching that. And um, I think I was watching like Denzel Washington talking about him and a few other people. But. Yeah. I mean, he's he's all over. He made a movie with Tony Curtis called The Defiant Ones. There's a lot of great stories in. Yeah. It's oh, a great one. He's definitely somebody Ooh. who's worth exploring. His, his whole body of work is worth exploring. I he did watch uh, Bill Cosby's speech to him, which was funny. And then you also remember it's Bill Cosby, but it was very, <laughs> <laughs> it was very funny. Yeah. No, they did a, they did like, a couple. Man. They did some movies together. And so they did, uh, what was it, John? Uptown Saturday They did night. three. Yeah. They did three comedies together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was them and uh, was hilarious. It was so funny, and you just yeah. But it's Bill Cosby, so you go. He's funny, but he's Bill Cosby. Yeah, but, <laughs> funny's not <laughs> enough to forget. So <laughs> yeah, well, he's still in jail. So <laughs> uh, Jake, what did you think in the heat of the night? Had you seen this before? No, I never even heard of it before. How was it? I thought it was great. There's yeah, there's so much. 
There's so much tension just because of the time period. And especially what was the scene where he was in, I forget where he was. I think he was in like a construction yard. I don't remember exactly where it was, but when all those guys ganged up on him. Oh yeah. yeah. And then the, and then the, um, the, what the sheriff, not, what is it? I was, yeah, the, the chief. Of the police chief, chief. There you go. Chief. The chief showed up to back him up. Yeah. I love, I love their relationship, how it starts off as him being all racist and demeaning in every, in every conceivable way to him backing him up and yeah, him saying you're better than this and them developing like a relationship. I thought that was great. A grudging relationship, but a relationship nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> to the point where, uh, to the point where he even gets offended with John mentioned that speech where they're in the house together and he tells them no one ever comes here. You know, you're the only person that's ever been here. No mm-hmm. one, no one comes here. And then he's almost offended that he's leaving. Cause he's going to run off with that guy. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah. he's like, you gotta go where, where we, I gotta go where Whitey's not allowed. And he's like, what is that supposed to mean? But he's almost offended. <laughs> he's almost offended that he's, he's being left behind, you know, that he's losing his, yeah. he's losing like a companion. It's kind of a telling scene. You almost feel sorry for him. Almost. Almost. Almost feel sorry for Gillespie. Yeah, it was great. Uh, overall tone for the movie, I thought, worked really well. And what did you good f- music? Got it. Did I what? Did you feel sweaty? <laughs> it's one of the sweatier movies that we've watched. Everybody looks sweaty. <laughs> I think. Except for yeah. Sidney Poitier, dude. He's got the tur- shirt on the whole time. Never takes his jacket off. Always looks cool. Everybody else yeah, is like yeah. uh, everybody else has got the shirts open and they're yeah. sweating and they're fanning themselves. They can't get the air conditioner to work, uh, but it's almost like he has to be above it. He has to be. He can't give in to anything like that because he has to. Yeah, it's, it's you know it's almost it's it's telling the way he played that. He's got to be better than them. Yeah, he in really, every way he really does. He he can't mm-hmm. show any weakness whatsoever, and I love that he's basically he doesn't have a gun. You know, he's out thinking them. You know, he has to be, you know, he can't rely on a gun or something because it, it, he's in the deep south. He's outnumbered. There's no way that he can get away with, you know, you know, with, with doing what he would do when he was in the north. So he has to kind of knuckle under and just play the game their way, but still beat him at it. Had you seen any other uh, Sydney Poitier movies, uh, Jake? Or is this your first one? I think this is my first one. All right. Well, we're going to see Sneakers soon. <laughs> And you're gonna like that. I hope. I do like sneakers. Do you have you seen it? Oh, no, so I like good. to wear them. Oh yeah, I do too, man. Oh yeah, you what? have no idea. <laughs> uh, Patrick, you've obviously seen sneakers. Had you seen this one before? Uh, I'd never seen this one. Um, this uh, Sydney Poitier in this film is absolutely fantastic. Um, I found this movie both disturbing and hilarious at some points just from the situations and like how painful it is that he got into, like to the point of, you know, the scene where he said, fuck it, I'm leaving, like I'm done. And then the chief comes and tells him, you know, says, Hey, you're, I, you know, you think you're better than us. I get it, but you're not going to let yourself leave. You're not going to let yourself walk away from this situation. And it's interesting to see that they're both playing each other at the same time to get what they want out of the situation. Um, 
it's a fascinating film. It's it's beautifully shot. Uh, it's horribly disturbing as far as the timepiece. Um, the story itself is okay. I don't I don't think um, you know it's an amazing story, but it's just the way it's done. It, it really draws you in and gives you a lot of attention. Um, and that slap is a slap her world round or across the world it's beautiful uh <laughs> when that moment happened i was so fucking happy and then he starts to cry afterwards and i was just like yeah you a little bitch <laughs> um i i really really enjoyed this film uh i thought i was surprised by it um it has some really interesting twists and turns and i i really liked it yeah it's not a super uh, the mystery isn't really what's the story here. The story is no. I mean, and like the the ending too for it. Like who you found out really killed him. It really didn't matter. Yeah. Like it, the point of this story is not to figure out who actually murdered the guy because you have no investment in the guy who died. It's more about that experience with the two of them back and forth and you know, the racial tension that's there and mm -hmm. how it's being addressed. And exactly. Developed. And for the time period, it's, it's a really fascinating piece to be shot and shown. And, um, like I said, I think, I think he does a fantastic job and I really like him in this film. Uh, and you know, you may call him Mr. Tibbs. Yeah. Yeah. They call me Mr. Tibbs, which is the name of the, uh, there's a sequel called, they call me Mr. Tibbs. Um, there's actually two sequels with the same character. Uh, I wonder if they call me Mr. Tibbs, and the other one I can't think of. The organization. And it, the organization. And it had to have. It had to have done well because they did a show based off of this. Like it, this, for as controversial as it is, like at the time, like it, ha it did extremely well. Yes, yes, it was. Um, you know, there's there's certain directors that handled movies. You know, they were they were at one time they would have been called message movies, maybe. Uh, right, John? Like Stanley Kramer, who did The Defiant Ones. There, he, all his movies were like message movies, you know. But um, a guy like Norman Jewison, and he, had, he also did A Soldier Story. Yeah. And he also did uh, Hurricane. So, uh, you know, here's a white guy who can, he can handle that material, and it doesn't feel... I don't know. When you hear other people talking about his movies, they say, you know, he seems to have a handle on it. You know, that might be difficult for uh, somebody to handle those stories. I forget who it was. Somebody said, well, he's three for three because the soldier story is another difficult story told in the deep South, you know, during the forties. And then hurricane was the story of a hurricane Carter. And that's, I think that's one of Denzel Washington's best roles, period. Yeah. And so uh, I forget who it was, but somebody said, well, you got to hand it to Norman Jewison. He's three for three because you'd think that maybe you'd want a black director for these movies. But he he was able to handle it. He had a, a feel for just people, humanity. And that's what you really need is just a feeling for uh, universal humanity. You know? Which is eventually what brings the chief around. He, he understands that this is... You know, that, that if I, I think that scene, watching this again, that scene in his house, you really see how it, and you have to give credit to Rod Steiger for playing such a hateful character in, in such, sure. a, in such yeah. a convincing way. Uh, so much yeah. so that we don't, we kind of don't want to give him the credit, but he's great in it because he makes that, 
character three-dimensional, you know? The look he gives when the mayor tells him, like, this other guy would have shot him and claimed self-defense. Yeah, that uh, was a really powerful scene, too. Yeah. Yeah, he looks him up and down like, you, you're, you're a slime bag, you know? Yeah. I can't believe, I'm, can't believe I'm working for you guys, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so. You, you realize that he's maybe a product of his environment, but maybe the feelings don't go as deeply as they do with everybody else in the town. Um, you know, so the, you know, this, maybe he's not a, a, he's, he's not a character who's beyond redemption. You know, you kind of get that feeling that maybe, but the, that's not what the movie's about. That's the movie's about exploring their relationship together. But Patrick, you're right. The mystery is so, uh, it's such a side story that I, yeah. it, I mean, I've seen this movie probably five or six times and I just realized now that the fern route that they find in his car means nothing. It's a red herring and it never, yeah. it's just to get you, it's just to get you to Endicott's house. So you can get, you get to slap him in the face. That's what that whole thing was. Uh, you know, they don't explain how that guy would have been in the, in the greenhouse, but it doesn't matter. Uh, it, you know, in, in the end, you're right. It doesn't matter. It's, 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 it's a side, yeah, it's a I mean- side story at best. It's not the point of the film. We're not caring that the chick's knocked up and that you know, she's trying to get abortion. Like that's not what we're seeing or watching it for. It's about the characters. It's about the people. Yeah. It's a. It's a. It's a. Yeah. It's a character study. It's a. And you've got this extraordinary situation. Talk about a fish out of water story. This is yeah. like an extraordinary thing. What could put a guy like Virgil Tibbs in that situation? It's completely. Uh, it's a freak thing. He's on his way back from his you know he's on his way back north he's just stopping there to catch the next train and uh yeah it's a it's just a fluke that he ends up in that situation the night of a murder yeah uh it's it's really again if you if you're interested in, in Sydney Poitier at all it's definitely a movie you should see it's definitely a movie that I think would have been shocking at the time to a lot of people and a lot of people in the north who didn't probably never gave it a thought that that's the way things were down south you know, I'm sure people went into this in in cities like L.A. and you know, and New York, thinking, "Oh, okay, you know, this is, we're going to go see this movie about a cop." They didn't stop to think about the plight of people in the South, or you know, you know, that's what critics said. They said, "Look, this is baby steps," but the fact that this is a hit and it wins Best Picture, you're going to have people seeing this and they're going to learn a little something. It's not the same as being there or living it. But it's the fact that you're being exposed to this story, and that's what it takes. For something like this to play nationwide, it's baby steps. You get a few people to maybe think about, gee, what are they doing down there? You know, it's, sure. it's, a small, it's a small evolution, but that's what a good movie can do. It can take you somewhere, like a good book. It can take you somewhere that you would never be and make you see life through somebody else's eyes, you know? Sure. All right, let's rank it in the heat of the night. Patrick? Uh, eight and a half. Jake? I'll give it an eight. John? I give it a nine. All right. Pretty close to perfect, yeah. Justine? Nine. Yeah, I'm going to give it a nine as well. I'm going to give it a nine. Uh, yeah. My only my only gripe is, uh, like like we said, the mystery ends up being secondary, but yeah. that's not what it's I about. I think that's what's keeping me from getting it any mm-hmm. higher. It's just that... The the characters are fascinating, and that's really what you watch it for. But there's not much going on otherwise. Now, what are you talking about? You get to see uh, you get to see uh, the Mississippi. Yeah, you get to see the pretty countryside. 
Uh, yeah, it's a good one. Check it out. In the Heat of the Night, definitely one that I would recommend. Uh, and they're, you know, great. It's a good starting point if you want to learn more about our, the great uh, Sydney Poitier. Okay, guys, let's uh, move on. Our next movie was a little, uh, a, a light little, a light little number called uh, Charade from a little earlier in the 60s. Take it away, Patrick. All righty. Charade released in. 1963 on December 5th uh, got a 7.9 on IMDb a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes directed by one Stanley Donan 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 I don't know uh, Stanley Donan Stanley Donan uh, with a whopping budget of I don't have budget or box office it was a it was a hit uh, it's the only uh, this is the only pairing of Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn and uh, and Walter Matthau uh, and Walter <laughs> and a young uh, our, our, our buddy James Coburn is in there. Or, uh, yeah, this is an all-star cast. Sure. Uh, and um, it I was uh, it, it is also known as the people have described this as the greatest movie, the greatest Hitchcock movie Hitchcock never made. So you could, you could look at that way. It does have the feeling of a of a of a North by Northwest a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, had had everyone seen this? I know this is one of Justine's favorites. Uh, had you seen this before, John? Yeah, yeah. You had seen this, Patrick? Had you yeah. seen this? Yeah, I'd seen it before. Because Jake, am I the only one who's never seen it? Jake, let's loser. <laughs> Jake, let's talk about it. How did you feel about Charade? Charade, Audrey Hepburn, worst actress all time. I'm calling it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you wait till you see that Cruella Deville trailer. Oh, oh yeah, she can. Emma can do no wrong, so that's mm, fine. Wait till you see that Cruella Deville trailer. <sighs> I'll just be staring at Emma, and I'll just forget the rest, and it's fine. Uh, okay, go ahead. What were you saying? Why? Why do you hate Audrey Hepburn now? He's no, needling. Just, He's needling Justine. I just don't. I just don't like her. What? Oh, you're serious. I like I like I think I I think this is my favorite role of hers. Yeah. Um but even so, she's just very kind of eccentric and out there in every role she does. Yeah, she's always a little a little strange. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, men rubbing her feet and in the mm. middle of a car ride, she just props her feet up, just rub my feet. Oh, no, that one's done. What? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Her feet was hurting from running away. Were you not listening, John? You can't. Oh, I know why. I know why. I just thought. I don't know. So you're flirting. You can't. Story was great. You can't admit you love her, and so, however, how are we ever to know? You only tell us, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. What is that? Is that a song? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's in the Cruella Deville trailer. Oh my god, love it! Cake covered it. <laughs> John, by the way, yeah. Cake, uh, John, by the way, Cake covered that song. Cake covered that song. Perhaps, mm-hmm. perhaps, yep. perhaps. Yep. Yeah. And it's an old. It's based on an old uh, Spanish song called "Quizás, Quizás, Quizás," which means. Ah. Yes, yes. All right. Uh, so you were saying, Jake. I'm sorry. Okay. So aside from your hatred of Audrey Hepburn, or your uh-huh. uh, aside from the fact you don't get Audrey Hepburn, I I don't get I don't get the appeal. You don't get the appeal. That's fine. I understand that. Yeah. 
Because there's there's actresses and actors that I do not understand the appeal of. But uh, what did you think of the film, the film itself? Otherwise, the the film as a whole was fantastic. I liked, I loved it. Yeah. Despite uh, Audrey Hepburn. Okay, but you you, you obviously <laughs> he's half the movie. <laughs> you obviously liked Cary Grant at least because he's the other half of the movie. So without him, yeah. I thought Cary Grant was great. Um. Yeah, it's a good story. You never really, you never really knew who was in on it or who was doing what. And it turns out everybody was going for it. Yeah, yeah. It everybody out. knew. Everybody, and then you get to eat, well, you get to see Walter Matthau eat an egg salad sandwich. Was it an egg? Salad sandwich? <laughs> or was it, or was it liverwurst? What was he eating, John? Yeah. He had two. He had liverwurst and chicken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was her? What was her name in the movie? Uh, Mrs. Uh, what is her name, Justine? Lynette Lambert. Mrs. Man Lambert. Mrs. Lambert. Mrs. Lambert. Lambert. Yeah, Lambert. Is no, her first 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 name. Her first name was oh Lambert. Reggie. Yeah, Reggie. Reggie Lambert. Yeah, Reggie. When I heard when I heard um, Walter Matthau. Reggie, I want you to meet me down there in five in ten minutes. <laughs> hey, that's a pretty good. <laughs> that's a meet me there in fifteen minutes. It's a pretty good math. Her though. name's Regina. Regina. Regina Lampert. And they called her and they called her Reggie. Yeah. Yeah. That's Re- what it was. Regina. Yeah. Walter Matthau was great. Yeah. Cary Grant, I thought was very uh, funny. You Charming. can you can see in this movie why he was why they thought of him to be. Uh, James Bond. They, they, he was who they originally wanted to be. James Bond. Uh, Absolutely. Can, would lo- I would love that. But you can also see that he's, you know, he's getting a little well, older. Walter Matthau is James Bond. That would be fantastic. Oh, <laughs> Walter <laughs> Matthau. That's what I want. My name is Bond. <laughs> James Bond. Ooh, that would be. It. I don't. I don't care if you do have a. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if you do have a golden gun. I'm gonna kick your ass. Yeah. Oh, you don't <laughs> listen to the Beatles without earmuffs. You hear me? That, that'd be, you left me with the cuckoo pigeon sisters. Oh, they should have. Can't had, take it. They should have him. He would have been a great Felix Leiter. Bond, <laughs> you're at it again, huh, Bond? And now we gotta. The good old U.S. of A. has to bail you out. I'm, t- I'm doing uh, a cross between Mr. Potter and uh, Walter Matthau. <laughs> Good. It's those moose calls at two in the morning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. It's the cooking, the cleaning, the crying. You got to get that slow. Now, Mrs. Lampert, do you want the chicken or the... I can't do it. Uh, Jake uh, does it better. Jake does it better. Which would... which? So, Jake, which would you be taking, the chicken or the liver? The, the, the mm. liver. I, I don't know if I like liver. So, but you did dig. You dug the movie. Did, you, did the mystery keep you riveted? Yeah, I dug it. Um, the mystery kept me going. It's just because you weren't sure who it was. Like even if you knew you would, they're like, "Well, everybody's involved in it now, so I don't fucking know anymore." Did you think that Cary Grant was a bad guy at any time, or did you think that that would play out differently? Were you not sure? I found out pretty early on. I'm just he was he was like the second he was introduced. I'm like, nah, I don't know about him. Oh, nice. I don't know because caught her caught him in a lie. It's like, oh, you're like. I thought you said your brother was, brother was dead. Some, yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, all right. Yeah, he's he's in on it, but I didn't know that she was in on it. Yeah, everybody was in on it. Little spoiler, even her. You should, mm-hmm. Uh, 
So Patrick, does Justine had Justine made you watch this, or is this one that you knew about before you and Justine? Uh, no, she showed me. She showed me uh, this movie. And? Um, it's a nice little whodunit story um, with lots of twists and turns, and uh, you never know who the fuck Cary Grant actually is until the last five minutes of the film, which mm-hmm. is always fun. Um, it's it's an interesting film. It's it's kind of uh, I wish some of the side characters were a little more memorable. Like you got a little bit more of a backstory from them, but overall, it's fun. I don't I don't have anything really bad to say about this film. It's a fun, enjoyable film. Um, who's what were you gonna say? Who's your favorite of the henchmen? Is it uh, James Coburn? Is it George Kennedy? Is it the other guy? Um, I honestly probably James Coburn. I like him. Tex. Yeah, he's good in this. He's good. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't get a chance to be this good of a villain again until Monsters Inc. It's <laughs> so, good stuff. All right, John, what did you do? You, is this one of your favorites? Where does this rank in your Cary Grant uh, filmography? Yeah, I think this is almost a perfect movie for my for my money for Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. Let's face it; it's uh, this is a two. This is the two of them have to pull it off, and they have incredible chemistry. If they didn't have uh, chemistry, the whole romance angle would not work. Uh, it's essential that you believe them flirting back and forth. The fun of it for me is the banter, all the the banter between the two of them. And uh, they keep up with each other. You got to say, she completely holds her own, which is a lot because Cary Grant is the king of uh, w- of witty banter. So I think it, it, that's the best part of it. I just laughing my head off, even though I'd seen this a couple times already. Uh, I just love it. It's just uh, delightful. Hard to pull off charming. Very hard to pull off a movie that, you know, and this movie's beyond that. You've got a mystery. You're juggling three balls at the same time. It's a, it's a mystery. It's a, it's a suspense thing. And it's also a, a romantic comedy. And uh, I am not a pushover for a romantic comedy, but this is done very well. And it does feel like a Hitchcock movie. It feels like North by Northwest. It feels like... Uh, like a lot of Hitchcock movies. Um, but it's, uh, in the end, it's not completely reliant on that. It just goes to show you other people can do suspense movies, you know? Sure. But if you made, if you made North by Northwest more of a comedy, this is what it would look like. So when people say this is the best Hitchcock movie, Hitchcock never directed they're pretty much on the money. So, uh, and it's great that, you know, uh, the whole thing's taking place in Paris. So that kind of gives it kind of a flavor of its own. Yeah. Uh, the henchmen are, are the, all the henchmen are very believable. And George Kennedy is a very believable bad guy. He always He's is. played a lot of bad guys, but in this one to have the hook that the, you know, the hand that's a hook and the way he puts it through the door and the way he's chasing him on the rooftop. Those are great scenes. You've got to have some menace. You've got to feel like she's really in danger. And the first time I saw this, I'm like, yeah, what the hell's going on with Cary Grant? Is he, is he, is he a bad guy? You know, when, when the first time he comes into the room and says, you know, she believes me, she trusts me. You're just like, oh no. And then you start, you know, it's funny. He goes through three names and she's finally just like, who are you? This is the third name you've given me. I don't even know what to call you anymore. Uh, all of that is very cool. Uh, right to the end, the last scene where she goes in the office and it's him, you know, what is this persona number four, you know, and she's all, even when you're being honest, you when you're being dishonest, you can't be honest. You know, it's like, I don't know. Great, great dialogue. 
great chemistry. The two of them are just wonderful. So I really enjoy this movie a hell of a lot. It's a good one. And it does feel yeah. like, it does feel like a little bit of a Hitchcock, a little bit of James Bond. There's a little bit of a heist element there. So there's there's a lot going on. And you're right, John. It's a lot of relies on the chemistry between Audrey Hepburn and uh and Cary Grant. And I love that they do play up the fact that he's older. And you yeah. know, he's kind of like, No, I can't, you know, I don't wanna he's kind of reluctant about it. So there's a there's a realism you know, to it. It's tricky. Uh, Cary Grant insisted on that. He said, we've got to put in a few more lines. He says, I feel a little uncomfortable. And he's reading the script. He says, I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm like 59. You know, she's like early 30s. He says, this is going to be a little uncomfortable unless you kind of tweak the script. You've got to make it more like I have to make a couple cracks that, you know, she's too young for me and maybe make her more of the pursuer. And so they tweaked it a little and it absolutely works because you would, you would. She's done a lot of movies where she's, uh, playing opposite an older man. And people always do sort of scratch their heads and go, what is it? Every, every time she's got a romantic lead, it's an older guy. So I think he was right on the money. He's the one that says, you've got to tweak it a little bit or else it's uncomfortable. And um, so it works. And I think about two years after this, he retires. He says, I just, they give me these scripts and the, the leading ladies are always about 20 years younger than me. And he says, this just is not believable anymore. I think I better just hang it up. So to his credit, I think about two, three years after this, he says, I'm just going to call it a day. Cause I don't think I can pull off the, uh, the suave leading man anymore. Uh, he was great in this though. It, what a great, uh, oh, what a great, so good. It, it makes you wish he would have done more stuff like that, or at least done Dr. No. So we could have seen what it was like. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's so, it's so, it's so cool that you and, uh, Nicole are going through all the Cary grants because he's so good. And when you see him at his best, like, like in this movie, you know, if you're a guy, it just makes you want to be Cary Grant. Yeah, I think there's a whole generation out there that, that just thought, geez, this is the gold standard. You kind of want to be him, you know? Sure. Well, it's funny. And who can pull it off? He kind of goes through two different eras in the young, in the, like the 30s and 40s. He is, he's suave, but he's also, there's a lot of comedy there. And then in the 50s, he kind of transforms into this, like, kind of older leading man kind of a thing. And he's got the, he's got the whole Cary Grant. He's Cary Grant, as we know Cary Grant. He's got the whole persona down, and that's really. What I think he's here. got a. I think he had a sense of humor about himself because he heard that all the time that people thought you know he was just so suave, and um, somebody once said that to him. You know, you know, I boy, you know, we wish we could be Cary Grant, and he leaned in and said, "Yeah, I wish I could be Cary Grant." You know, I'm <laughs> I'm Archie Leach. You know, I wish I could be Cary Grant. You know, that's the part. You know, the part I'm playing. I'm not like that. You know, it's yeah, really great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, Justine. So, the, when did you first discover charade, Justine? Um, I probably first watched it in 2001. Probably. Okay, nice. Okay, so you have an actual time frame uh, that you remember. And what what drew you to it? You just you were going through an Audrey Hepburn phase. Um, I was sick. I was in high school, and like I said, there's just old movies on TV, so. I saw her name on it, and I was like, I've never seen that, so I watched it. And? And? And it was nice to see her in another movie back then. I was like, what? She does other movies besides Breakfast at Tiffany's and Michael <laughs> Katie? <laughs> I didn't even, like, after I watched, I think, Charade, then I learned about Roman Holiday. Oh, okay. Um, then I watched Roman Holiday afterwards, but, like, as far as, like, I knew, I only knew her from My Fair Lady and... um where, where, where does this rank in your um where does this rank in your Audrey Hepburn uh 
Um, probably number three, as long as it's above. Uh, what is it called? Paris when it's hot, or what is that? Paris oh, funny face. Sorry. Oh, funny face. Funny face. With uh, with Fred Astaire. Yeah. Uh, what are your first two? What What are your first two? Breakfast at Tiffany's and Roman Holiday. Roman Holiday first, and then Breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay. Ah. And what about My Fair uh, Lady? It's probably like after this. What about <laughs> What about Poor Freddie Ansford Hill? Man, he could. He he he's often. And you're, are you gonna make me watch the Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn movie? Uh, no. But I w- okay, okay. I have often See, walked down the street before. Uh, by the way, you like this less than Breakfast at Tiffany's. What? You like this less than Breakfast at Tiffany's? Yes. Well, she loves all the Mickey Rooney parts from. Uh, ah, Breakfast. yeah, that makes sense. She said those yeah. are her favorite sequences uh-huh. in all of cinema. Yeah. Is that true? Jesus Christ. <laughs> God, that hurts. Even oh, even as a joke, it hurts to hear that. <laughs> she knows. we. Everybody knows we're kidding. We've talked about that so many mm. times. Uh, mm. God, those are really awful. It's so jarring. You know, when we watched Breakfast at Tiffany's, I kind of put in the... We talked about them and stuff. We kind of joked about them. But I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in there. And then when we watch them, you're just... It's jarring. Ooh. It was like, what? What happened? What, where did this? Why is? Did he just wander onto the set one day? What happened here? But uh, luckily, there's none of those shenanigans in in Charade, thankfully, and it is a very delightful movie. Uh, did this make you want to explore Cary Grant's filmography when you were that age, or did you not care? I didn't care who the fuck he was. Oh, wow. you didn't, so you didn't you didn't find him charming? Ah, that's interesting. So you're just focusing on Audrey. You didn't think when he was I particularly watched, charming. When I watched it, I was like, this guy's old. <laughs> yeah. Too old. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Was. I didn't but know you who figured he was, was too old for her. He doing our show yeah. and watching more of his things. Ah, so you I thought know. it was kind of creepy, yeah. maybe, huh? It's an old guy. <laughs> and now, how about that? But now you Jeez. love him. Now you love him. There you go. Now you love him. Now he's one of your favorites. <laughs> Justine <laughs> likes to rob the cradle. Yeah, remember, it's fine. Remember when he was ducking from that plane that went over him? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. That's mm. right. We should have watched. Remember the catch, that? We should have watched remember the catch a thief. Like Do you remember it? I have a great imagination of it. Yes. <laughs> you you watch well, it? Well, you watch yeah. it on your phone. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, I'm trying to get this straight. So do you, do you just you don't care for paragraph uh, period, or you just don't think he was used too old in this movie? Maybe. You don't like him as an actor. You don't. You've never seen a good Cary Grant movie. Nice guy. I like him when he's in the shower and he's. Uh, <laughs> uh, that is a good scene. Oh, that is a good funny. scene. Yeah. He has the well, soap and he's like, "Yeah, read the tag. It says it's better to this way. It keeps its form." And- well, I guess he called it. He said, "I'm too old for this part," so I think he knew. He knew. Some people are going to look at this and think I'm too old for this. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I looked at it. He did two more movies, and his last movie was in '66. Yeah, mm. I think he did Father Goose after this, and uh, Walk Don't Run. Yep, and that was it. And that went. And that when he said, "Well, I will not play the. I'm going to play the third guy. I'm not going to play the lead. You're going to have to get somebody else." You know. Yeah. Oh, Jake's back. Uh, all, right. Uh, all right, everyone. Just kidding, Justine. Do you have any any notes to add on Sherrod? Um, it was nice to know. James Coburn after watching Mag- all the other movies. Magnificent and Seven. Then and the he, Great well, Escape. Yes. <laughs> Great Escape. Magnificent Seven. Yes. 
So then now seeing him and then that little boy says, are you a cowboy? And he flips that um, the, that gun in his hand. And I was like, yeah, he is. <laughs> he should have said, didn't you see the Magnificent Seven? <laughs> Justine, I would check out, if you want to see more James Coburn, even though you hate James Bond, check out In Like Flint. In Like Flint and Our Man Flint. They're these spoofs of James Bond movies. And uh, James Coburn plays the, they're fun. They're not great. But they're very much of their time, but they're really fun James Bond spoofs. And uh, it's also um, it's nice to see George Kennedy younger. I've only seen him in Naked Gun. In so Naked Gun, I, yeah, mm. he's being kind of goofy. And I don't know him as I don't know him as anything else except for Naked Gun and Charades. So that's about ah, it. But, interesting. Um, interesting. <laughs> John's right. Yeah, he's, he is menacing in this one. He's very. Menacing. He started out. I think he started out playing heavies, and then. By the time he does airport, you know, he's like the good guy. He's in all the airport movies. I think after that, they said, well, you're perfect for the naked gun. You just play one of these, you know, veterans that, you know, one of these, you know, guys that have been on the force forever. Ah, I love it. Uh, well, didn't he do, uh, what was the police movie he did, John? Didn't he do like the, he did one of the Wombau movies. He did like. Uh, oh, uh, the white, uh, the blue night. Yeah, yeah, the Blue Knight, yeah. or, or the, or the, I think there was a TV thing, uh, the Blue Knight, or the uh, Police Story, or the, yeah. the New Centurions. Even one of those, it might have been the, it might have been um, the Blue Knight. Then he's yeah. also, then he's also like, the police officer in Earthquake. He does all the disaster movies after that. Yeah, he's in like Airport, all the Airport movies. You're right. You're, then he it's tur- funny when you see those disaster movies. Uh, he's in every Airport movie. He's the only guy who's in every Airport movie. And then he turns and he up plays an airplane. The, he plays the thing. Yeah, exactly. He plays the same character too. They get him on the phone. He's really the, the Lloyd Bridges character is is the George Kennedy character. You know, they have to call him up and go, "How do we get this plane down in one piece?" But he's playing George Kennedy. You know, sure, yeah, exactly. But it is adorable watching Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant go back and forth. I think it's really aha, aha, uh-huh. great and dialogue, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, I like when you get to the end and she's like, "It's you," and like it's so adorable. And then I don't I don't know the whole part about the marriage license was too much for me, but it was still really cute to hear her be surprised about that too. Marriage license. <laughs> oh, you. She says. Oh, you dreamboat. Like, oh, we're gonna name all the kids after you, and they show all the names. She starts saying all the yeah. names, and they start showing all the different times he was a different name. It was really funny. That's a great end line. You know, we'll name all the kids after you. Yeah. You know what my mom? My mom's favorite line in this movie was when she says, do you know what's wrong with you? Nothing. <laughs> she just thought that was the funniest line. Uh. They do seem like, you know what? I will tell you this. Audrey Hepburn makes me believe that she's in love with all the older guys that she has to be. She's so good. Yep. When, when you watch My Fair Lady, it's heartbreaking. She really, it's heartbreaking how much she's in love with Professor Higgins. I mean, you know, it's gross because you know that's, Rex Harrison. That's acting. Ill. That's 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 good acting. You yeah. know? <laughs> even in, sure, even but- in, even in something that we you know that we when we watch Breakfast at Tiffany, she's such a melancholy character. You know, there's so much going on in that character that she's trying to hide. You know, when when Doc comes back, and you know she has that whole thing where you know you can tell that she loved him, maybe not the way he loved her. But, you know, and she's so good. I mean, 
Uh, I'll tell you one thing that's come to watching the Digital Movie Club. It's really given me a new appreciation for her as an actress, you know. Um, I like the movies that she's in. I think that she's been in a lot of... She she had a good nose for scripts, or, you know, she was offered good parts and was she, she was intelligent enough to pick really good scripts because there are very few bad Audrey Hepburn movies, really. You know, when you look at some of our other actors and actresses, you know, they have their share of clunkers, but Audrey Hepburn hits, hits it up. Yeah, she's got... Uh, she's got Just a, a couple of racist ones. Oh, I mean, they're very much... They're of their time, unfortunately, but... Uh, I wouldn't hang that on her. Yeah, I wouldn't hang um, that on her. Uh, well, a, a lot of it, she was choosing scripts after she had her kid. She took a break to just take care of her kid, but a lot of it she started choosing um, based on whether she'd be able to be with her family. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's, well, it worked out for her. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I it's a good one. Charade is fun. And if you've never seen it and you want to see a, a like a, a rom-com with a little bit more of a, like an edgy rom-com, there's a little bit of a mystery there and there's some suspense. Um, it's it's a good one. Check it out. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard movie to describe, but it's a lot of fun, I think. That's yeah, fun. absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's rank it. Charade, everybody. Patrick? Uh, seven. Jake? Seven? Yeah. Jake? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. We'll do seven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was going to give it a six because Audrey, Hep- Audrey Hepburn, that's four. Four syllables minus four points. Wow. <laughs> we'll do that. We'll give it a six because of that. Let's, I think that's fair. I, I think I've got a seven. theory. John, what's your theory? I have a theory just from this show. I think I, I think I know what's going on with Jake and Audrey Hepburn. The same way Justine kind of projects the characteristics of the character on Humphrey Bogart. I think that uh, Audrey Hepburn's character in Breakfast at Tiffany's rubbed him the wrong way. And now whenever he sees an Audrey Hepburn movie, he just assumes that's what Audrey Hepburn's like. (laughs) Am I I wrong, Jake? No, all the, all the characters that she plays, you do see a little bit of her eccentric, or her like um, but you're not holding it against her that she was uh, in that because I know you didn't care for her character in Breakfast at Tiffany's not in the slightest no so I I, I thought maybe it's maybe it's the Bogart phenomenon that you're like oh she's awful because she's awful (laughs) she always always has this kind of um, it's always like this air of like I'm better than you like she props her Ah. feet up on this guy it's like rub my feet Ah. like she's it's always like she's demanding things mm. from these men, and she's pretty, so it doesn't she gets like away with it. Women who are assertive. Mm. 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 I like that Patrick's that little mm. self-satisfied grin when he said that. He gave himself yeah. a little like. Mm. <laughs> Look, he gave himself a little pat. Look at him, at a boy. Look at him, yeah, at a boy. Got him. Maybe. Got him. Right. There's nothing wrong with assertive, but it's her. She's just like. I think mm. that it has to Come do on. with ju- with. Patrick, I'm sorry, with Jake being such a huge Humphrey Bogart fan and Justine talks crap about it, you know, about Jake's man. So then he's got to he's got to give it back when Audrey comes up. Yeah, that's the end all be all. We're not above petty politics here on the the superiority complex. We're not petty. So tune in for that. Nobody. Uh, Yeah, I mean, she can talk about hoagie bogey all she wants, and I can talk about. (laughs) 
Hoagie Bogey. Hoagie Bogey. And then, you know what? I'll talk, shit. I'll talk shit about uh, what? Abby Dabi, whatever her name yeah. is. You know? so, uh, Abby Dabi and Hoagie Bogey. They went on an Abba Dabba. They went on an Abba Dabba honeymoon. Yeah. What about Justine? What? What's? Why do you love Treasure this year, Madre? Because why? What is it about Bogart? He's playing his self. He's playing. <laughs> he's a selfish murder, a murdering selfish. Uh, How do you know that? That is an autobiography. Good for nothing. Of him. <laughs> you know? That's acting, acting. Can you? Can, yeah. Can you find? Can you find me? Justine's Treasure of the Sierra Madres for Audrey Hepburn for me. If you can find a movie like that that just shows her true self, I think that. Would uh, be- I think it would. Well, that was my. That was my well, theory. Right. I thought. Yeah, that was my theory that you thought that's the way she is. Breakfast at Tiffany's. She's this goofball that brings everybody <laughs> to a weird end. <laughs> I think that. Like, yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. Good. That's your movie. Oh, Justine that might have been Justine the movie. left. Justine, are you still? Oh, she she's still with I wish I'd seen these other movies. Like God, what? I don't know. I like something about her, and then I watched Breakfast at Tiffany's, and it went off all just mm. clicked. You didn't even like her in mm. Roman Holiday. She was adorable in Roman Holiday. No, but remember, she's a princess, so she's still better than everyone. It's like he's not going to like it. I love it. She's a bloody princess. <laughs> this is like the popular girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I like I I like the I like the women who take the hero like all the way to Mordor type of lady. Times. You know, shot down. A I don't know. If that's uh, kind of inappropriate. Uh, hmm. We're really. I like that lady. I like that lady who escorts people all the way to Mordor. Those are my kind of mm. Well, whoa. She, she was an es- she escorted someone. Yeah, she was an escort in Breakfast in Breakfast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that was whole, uh, the whole story. Yeah, she was an escort. This we gotta explore and this. <laughs> this this uh hatred. And Mickey mm. Rooney as the beaver. Uh John, what and, do you give and- charade? I give it a 9.5. I don't even know what keeps it from being a 10, but it's it's a pretty much as close to a perfect movie as you're going to find. 9.5. Uh, Justine. Mm. Mm. I give it. I give it a nine. Give it a nine. I'm going to give it an eight. Solid eight for me. Solid mm. eight. Um, you know, What's interesting about this movie is that it's one of those movies that fell into the public domain early on, like its copyright ran out. So there's a million copies available. So if you're going to rent this or buy this, you should be able to find it on any of the streaming services because uh, I think they barely got the rights back. But there's a lot of public domain copies out there. So if you what do, you want is a good you want a good copy. I was just going to say you want to watch a yeah yeah sorry Mario if you see it on prime or something and it's free be careful because a lot of those copies that turn up are the public domain copies and they're not very good um so hopefully you guys got to see a good copy of it because i think they they bought the rights back recent like in the last you know few years and they think it's been remastered and all that stuff now but for a long time it was a very easy movie to find because the copyright had run out and there was like a million it's one of those things you'd see put out on good times videos back in the 80s and yeah. they were probably crappy prints and with this movie you want a clean print mm-hmm. You know, it was a fluke mm-hmm. thing, Mario. I just read this yesterday. It was a fluke thing. They didn't put the copyright on it. Like uh, they say, the day after it went out, it was in public domain. They forgot to put the copyright on it. Wow. They put property of Universal Studios, but they didn't put the little copyright. So they said basically the week this was released, it was in the public domain, technically, because <laughs> they didn't take care of business. Somebody, 
you can imagine somebody got fired over that, that they didn't put the copyright on the print, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. That's crazy. But uh, yeah, that weird? it's out there. There's a lot of copies of it, but check it out. Find a good print. It's worth worth catching. If you, if you haven't seen it, or you're a fan of either Cary Grant or Audrey Hepburn or Alfred Hitchcock, check it out. Yeah. Uh, even though he's not, it's not a Hitchcock movie. Uh, Jake, we're going to have to explore this in another episode. I really want to get into the psychology of why you don't like uh, Audrey Hepburn. Um, I mean, I have my, look, we can talk all day about how I don't like the Beatles. It's just stuff you don't like. It rubs you the wrong way. You mm-hmm. know. I, I mean, Audrey Hepburn has big eyes, too. <laughs> they're not Kill golem. Them. They're not golem eyes, but I mean, uh, you golem know. wins, but she still has big eyes. <laughs> they're full of hot air. Don't worry. Whoa. Uh, yeah, go go watch the uh, Corilla Deville trailer and ask yourself why. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, for I'll Jake, ask you a better question. Why not? For well, because <laughs> it's already a cartoon. Why does it need to be live action? Hmm. Because Disney will not stop until they've done a, a live action version of every animated movie they ever made. Because they so, made money. They better do Aladdin a live made money. They better, Lion King made money. They better do a live action uh, Black Cauldron then. That's what I want. Stop going. <laughs> stop going to these remakes, people, and they'll stop making them. You know, they're looking, somebody's going to like shrug and go, what do we got to lose? Do the Black Cauldron. What do we got to lose? Yeah. The first one was a stinkeroo. What do we got to lose? Do a live action. Do a live. I want to see a remake of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I want to see uh, a remake of, uh, uh, I don't know. Let's no, don't. do a live. Yes, I do. I want to do a live action of, uh, of uh, a great mouse detective. Yeah, do that. Put some <laughs> yeah, maybe you could get the Benedict Cumberbatch to play the mouse detective. Yeah, yeah Basil of Baker Street. Yeah. yeah. How come we didn't watch any Easter movies like Steel Magnolia? Uh, is that an Easter that movie? Easter movie? Yeah, That's an Easter, Easter movie? Easter in that movie. Okay, mm. we'll, we'll wait till next year mm. and do it next year. Rude. <laughs> uh, why, why don't we watch an Easter movie like uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told or um, <laughs> King of Kings, you know? Yeah. Or uh, The <laughs> Or the Menagerie <laughs> episode of Star Trek. Um, there's wow. a, hey, well, why didn't watch? Why didn't we watch a Hanukkah movie on Hanukkah? Are they crazy nights, you know? Yeah, there you mm. go. Uh, Justine, mm. would you like to tell us what's up next on the Digital Movie Club? We have Duel and Mean Street. Dang, John, how do you feel about that? Mm. I am, uh, you know, I'm digging it. <laughs> right. Like I say, I'm digging it. We're back. At, we're almost out of the. We're almost back up to the '90s, guys. Get excited. Mm. Get excited. Mm. All right, for Jake, for John, for Justine, for Patrick, we say as always, uh, fight the power, stay brown. What else do we say? Uh, stay healthy. Uh, go Dodgers. The Dodgers having a great week, although they're tied right now with the Oakland A's and extra innings. Uh, and uh, uh, this transmission ends now. Unity!